What is up, everybody? We got we got a great podcast um, for you today. It is um, December five, I think. Well, Thanksgiving. Let's okay. Let's go through this. Next Thanksgiving was November twenty eighth. So add two days to that, and then five more gets you to seven. So it is December five when you're listening to this, or. Maybe you didn't listen to it on December 5. Maybe you saved it for later. Little little treat. Or maybe you didn't listen to it at all, in which case you're not hearing this. And, you know, more power to you. Why would you even listen to this in, to begin with? Um, I can think of one good reason, though, is that this this episode of the podcast has Pete Peterson on it. Pete is back. Um, this is Pete making his third appearance on the podcast and we already have a fourth one in the works pete is well on his way to becoming a five-timer um which i think is only attainable to a certain group of people uh not many have even gotten past one at the moment uh just recorded one earlier today that's gonna be somebody's second uh yeah what was i talking about pete peterson that's right pete the pete mr pete pete peterson um we are we got three episodes we're back um from the thanksgiving break as i mentioned um hope everyone had a lovely holiday and we took a break for thanksgiving because these release on thursdays and thanksgiving always falls on a thursday as we know um but we got three episodes uh this week today the one this one that i'm talking about right now one next week one the week after that and then we're gonna go away for two weeks to celebrate christmas and the the december holidays and Hopefully everyone will have a good one of those, but we'll have more on that later. Um, these three episodes, though, all have they share a similar theme because we're doing best of the decade. And Pete joined me to talk about the five best sports moments of the decade. Um, Pete and I both love sports. Um, he took this in the direction of overall sports, like the best, like definitive sports moments. And I went with my favorites, and that's why it's mostly Boston sports. Um, but some shout-outs are definitely due to, like, Tim Tebow. Um, that was an amazing run that he had. Uh, the Orlando Magic. Lots of Red Sox and Patriots moments that you just can't fit into the top five when you're a Boston sports fan. Um, and I know that there are a few things more insufferable to listen to than a Boston sports fan on a podcast. But that is where we are. Pete is a fan of the Panthers. Um, so that gives you a little bit of a differentiation for you um speaking of differentiation that is a word that could rhyme with a lot of words and speaking of rhyming i wrote lyrics to the theme song for this podcast that ryan foley still waiting on that theme song ryan (laughs) uh we have fun we just but yeah anytime you want to send that theme song along would be great um that way um kristen will stop um nagging me about my lack of like spatial recognition or visual rhetoric or rhetoric or whatever it is whatever the the buzz word catch-all phrase that she um bemoans is where was i pete yes pete sports um sports moments of the can you believe the decade's already over i can't personally um feels like i mean when i when the decade started i was 12 I uh, didn't have a podcast, and now I'm 21, and I do have a podcast, and some can say that that's a downgrade. Uh, I certainly would. Um, that being said, um, please enjoy the smooth, dulcet, charming 
tones of one Pete Peterson who has let me do unspeakable things in the backseat of his car. Love you, Pete. Thanks for being here. So this episode of Goodbye Melbrook Road, we're going back into the realm of sports talk with, of course, the the sports guru, Pete Peterson. Um, Pete, thank you for being here. And we were talking we were talking right before we started recording about um, Antonio Brown, who basically uh, bullied his way out of Oakland to join the Patriots. And um, you mentioned that the last time the Patriots took on um, somebody who is not great off the field, it was Randy Moss, and they went to the Super Bowl. But they lost to the Giants. Um, they were 18-0 going into the game. Um, Randy Moss and Tom Brady had both set NFL records for touchdowns um, at their respective positions, and then they promptly scored 14 points against the Giants and lost 17-14, to losing the perfect season at the very last game of the season to Eli Manning. Um, is that in the cards? Like, are we going to see the Patriots and Antonio Brown lose to, like, I don't know, Tampa no. Bay in the Super Bowl this year? Not going to happen. I'm the Patriots are still gonna. I've just got to watch replays of it and clips, but they sounded like they look really, really good against the Steelers last night. Yeah, like when Demarius Thomas is your fifth best receiver, you have some weapons. Well, that's the thing. Like we went into this off season. Um, with the weakest part of the Super Bowl team being the receivers, Edelman was our best, and Gronk had retired, and then suddenly we have Antonio Brown, Josh Gordon, and Demarius Thomas, and Edelman, and we're argue we arguably have the best receiving core in the league, except maybe you can make an argument for like Houston or or Minnesota, maybe. I, I would, I would take New England's over both of those. I think. Houston's definitely got the best receiver in the football. I'm a big DeAndre guy. Absolutely. But I would definitely say New England's got the best core. Well, we'll have to see how Antonio You know if they make a run, Gronk's coming back, right? Like, that's going to happen. Do you think he is? He looks so much smaller than he used to. Well, I mean, I'm not saying they have these little medicines you can take to fix that, <laughs> but I mean, honestly, if they get all to third, like, you know, they're 10 and 2, or say 9 and 3 or something, I could see him coming back. Well, I remember they showed last night during the Patriots-Steelers game um, the upcoming games for the Patriots, and it was Dolphins, Jets, Bills, Redskins, Giants, then Jets, all the way through uh late October and it's like I I wouldn't say that they I could predict that they won't lose any of those games potentially well you know they've already announced next year's number one pick and it's gonna be the Dolphins oh yeah they like they looked bad 59 to 10 players requesting to be traded away from the team already which did you hear I don't know if you did or not a story broke and I don't know how true it is um, apparently, New England offered to trade Doug for Antonio Brown originally, and Pittsburgh said no. Yes. New England offered a better package than what the Oakland did. They just didn't want him to be a Patriot, and sure enough, here he is in New England anyway. No. I don't... 
Like, I'm not an Antonio Brown guy. Unless he's playing for my fantasy team. <laughs> but I definitely don't. I mean, I understand why they took a deal. I mean, it was a pretty much a, like, if you don't play well, we can cut you no problem deal. Yeah. But... Well, they're pretty much a contender without him, and then just to add him on top, uh, we'll see how he does in um, in the game against Miami, but that's a good transition into the topic we wanted to talk about of the best players in the NFL. Like, Do you think that they are influenced by who the best fantasy football performers are? I think our opinion of them are, like, I don't think the true blue players, like, you have a lot of young players now, like, I'll use Antonio Brown because he's kind of a diva. He's not kind of a diva. He's a diva. He's in, he's somebody that will probably care about fantasy numbers. Yeah. Well, I think Tom Brady cares. No. What? Do I think someone like... And I know this is a little bit harder because he's a defensive player, but J.J. Watt, like an Aaron Donald... I think it definitely influences our opinion on skilled players. Right, definitely. Like, I remember growing up, my like, I just the when I first when I first got into football, I just like kind of accepted like the best receiver is Randy Moss, the best running back is Ladainian Tomlinson, the best quarterback is uh, Peyton Manning or Tom Brady or one of those two. Basically, it was between those two forever, and that was it. Like that's how it went. Like the best that was, those were the best players at their position and. It was like fantasy was a thing, but it wasn't as popular as it is now. And I feel like Alvin Kamara is often ranked among one of the best running backs in the league. But that's because of his fantasy stats. Like, he's a great player, don't get me wrong. But a lot of his numbers come from the fact that he's also a receiving back. And I agree. That's true. Yeah. My go-to guy is like Kamara will have 30 rushing yards. Okay, so that's three fantasy points. He'll have 30 receiving, you know, receiving yards on four catches. Well, you play PPR, that's 10 points right there. Right. And a lot of it's like the double digits. It just looks nicer. And um, and I think like I think the, in the opposite case, like Julio Jones is one of the best receivers. Like he does everything right with footwork. Um, he's very tall, obviously. But in fantasy, he has like one game per year where he gets like 40 points and then he never scores touchdowns otherwise. But what you don't like... I don't watch the Falcons games, so what I see of Julio Jones is influenced by the poor fantasy stats, but he's doing so much on the field for the team that he's better than that. I want to say Patrick got him in our fantasy league, and I was like, Patrick, he's not a good fantasy player. Oh, he's awful. Yeah, he's good for one breakup. He's the Derrick Henry of receivers. Yeah. Like, Jordan Howard's an interesting player. I said he averages 1,100 yards a season and six touchdowns. But he's not much of a receiving back. So, but his fantasy numbers aren't that great. But so no one realizes that he's rushed for 3,300 yards in three years in the NFL. That's what I see when they when he went to the Philadelphia. I was like, I saw a lot of people were like, oh, why do the Eagles want Jordan Howard? And it's like because that's a great asset to have on your team when you already like that's a great running back by committee, and that's going to help them win games. It's just not going to help you win fantasy games. That's all. Like just because he got, he'll rush for seventy five yards a game, on, you know, fifteen carries. Like he's not a very like I had um Olsen Eckler like yesterday in my fantasy team. 
Yes. I had like 30 all-purpose yards. I had a bunch of catches, like a couple of touchdowns. So he had these insane fantasy numbers yesterday, but realistically didn't have, you know, an incredible game. I think that's a really interesting part of it, too. Like, the fact that Melvin Gordon is holding out right now, but then Eckler can provide the same thing. Um, just these, this system is set up for, like, running backs, as long as you have a good offensive line, any running back can be pretty much successful as long as they're not inept. And it's like, and on the one hand, I support the player empowerment, and, like, Melvin Gordon obviously deserves, like, the money. And I think being paid the fifth highest in running back in the league is probably pretty fair for him. But um, to hold out, like... Then the same thing happened last year with James Conner and Bell. Like, you're getting the same production, and it's like there's no real middle ground for that because you can just, any team can just dump a running back and move on to the next one, and it'll be just as good. I think Dallas is a prime example. People don't, right before they drafted Zeke, McFadden rushed for like 1,400 yards. Right. Jared McFadden's running the NFL right now. Like, when you have an offensive line that good, they can make, not to say Zeke's not one of the best, if not the best running back in football, but an offensive line can help. That's why I'm a big Zeke, I'm a Saquon guy. Saquon's putting up those numbers without an offensive line. Imagine if you put him on the Dallas offensive line, the numbers he would put up. He'd be, be insane. unquestionably the best. I, but it's interesting because I think it definitely has an influence our defensive numbers. Like We still know Aaron Donald's the best defensive tackle. I think J.J. Watt's the best defensive lineman. I mean, defensive end. Like, it doesn't like affect how we build new defenses. Yeah. Because the defense could give up, you know, thirty points, but get a couple of sacks and a couple of interceptions, and still have a pretty good fantasy game. But. And that too is treating it like a unit. Like um, when you draft like the Patriots defense, um, you get Stephon Gilmore, but you also get like Elandon Roberts. And I see a lot of leagues do it where, like, if you draft a running... Like, you draft the Patriots running backs, which means you get Michelle, White, um, Brandon Bolden, Rex Burkhead, instead of just drafting the individual players. And I wonder if that would kind of shift it back towards the way we view defenses, where, like, if you get the Patriots running backs, then you might not necessarily see it as all one player. You know, that wouldn't... That's a good idea. <coughs> and, too, like, the Patriots defense... Don't you know, I think Stephen Gilmore is a top five defensive back, probably. But outside of him, do they have really any top five defensive player? I think Dante Hightower used to be a top five linebacker. I wouldn't say he is anymore. Um, and then aside from that, like uh, the, the best player they have is Devin McCourty, and he's not top five in the league. Yeah, well... And the thing is, it's interesting, my friend, it's like the Panthers, for example. I'm a Panthers guy. I think they have the best linebacker in football. But a mediocre defense, you know, like. But, so what was our topic for today, Mr. Mello? Yes, so we are doing top five 
sports moments of the decade. Um, it's 2019, the decade's wrapping up. Um, for me personally, as a sports fan, it's been an amazing decade. Um, had a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, I'll just jump, I'll jump right into the list. That way it ends with you. Um, my number five sports moment of the decade is the Boston Bruins winning the 2011 Stanley Cup. Um, I'm not, I am a Bruins fan, um, as I am from Boston. And um, while the Bruins are definitely probably the least team on my radar, like I, I followed them these past couple of seasons as they made deep runs into the playoffs, but my, my, I think my fanhood with the Bruins definitely peaked in 2011. I definitely hopped on that bandwagon very quickly, but I was super into hockey. Have not been as into hockey since or before, but that was definitely 2011 was great for hockey, and I loved seeing that team. You know, they were down to the Canucks in the Stanley Cup Finals, and then they came back and won against the Canucks. I remember hating the Canucks so much. The, um, the Seddon brothers, I just hated, I hated every part of them. And seeing Tim Thomas um, before he went off the deep end, uh, back when Lucic was on the team, Marchand, all these great players, it was awesome. It was, it was like the summer, the spring and the summer of the Bruins for me, and seeing them win the Stanley Cup uh, for the only first and only time in my lifetime was pretty fun. I liked seeing that. So, for me, um, I had two honorable men. I'll give you my honorable mentions at the end. Okay. So, for me, um, I try to, like, not just think of professional sports, and I try to, like, want to think of, like, a more variety of things. Right. So, um, at five, I've got the U.S. gymnastics team. Their dominance in the 2016 Olympics. Good um, pick. I didn't really, like I said, follow. I don't follow the Olympics much. As a lot of people, I don't. I feel like I'm pretty patriotic year-round. I don't need the four months out of every four years to share my pride. I kind of go to that um, Daniel Tosh joke where he's like, I'm sorry, like, I'm going to pretend like the luge, you know, affects my patriotism or the vault. Like, I don't know, I hope you miss it. But that was definitely a um, really cool thing to watch. You know, just the United States go out there and these kids, because that's what they were, you know, these teenagers just go out there, women seem dominate. Like, and now they're considered some of the greatest Olympians of all time, one of the greatest Olympian teams of all time. So that was pretty cool. Not because like, not because I really care about gymnastics, like, but just from like a patriotism standpoint, to see the United States like go out there and dominate. Well, yeah, it's been. Um, it was a great. It definitely, I mean, the U.S. constantly um, is dominating the uh, the Olympics, pretty much like um, in most sports and. The things I've seen Simone Biles capable of doing are just incredible. Um, I saw a thing one time that said, um, and it showed you how America was ranked number one in obesity, and then it showed how it was still number one in medals, one in the Olympics, and it's like get you a guy that can do both. <laughs> yeah, we're good to we're good to cuddle with, and we're good to do unprecedented athletic feats with. Um, well, that's a good pick. I definitely. Uh, respect that i like that pick i definitely stuck with more professional sports with mine um because my number four my number four selection um is the it's actually pretty recent um i just full disclosure um my list is going to be extremely boston based um i am 
I am one of those horrible Boston fans, but number four is the the World Series from 2018. Um, the Red Sox are my first true love. Um, I will always love baseball. I think baseball is my favorite sport, um, and the Red Sox are my team. And last year, I like 2013 was a great World Series, and I'm probably going to talk about that later. But 2018, um, it was like a, it was kind of like a completely overhauled team. Mookie Betts, um, who was not part of 20, the only one who was there was really Xander in 2013. So we had Mookie, Benintendi, uh, JBJ, um, Devers, all these players who I really wanted to see like get rings. Chris Sale, even David Price, I wanted to see them all be champions. And the 2018 season, they just dominated. 108 wins. Alex Cora was a great manager. They steamrolled their way through the playoffs, and I remember sitting in my dorm, watching Game Three of the World Series last year. It goes to like I think it was like eighteen innings. Watching Nathan Avaldi just absolutely one, the best pitching performance I've ever seen in my life. Six and a third innings of relief, I think it was, and he was supposed to start. He had pitched the day prior, and he was just amazing. He was supposed to start the next day, and I just watched him gut it out it was the most beautiful thing i've ever seen in my life he was an absolute hero and it makes even though he's hurt now this season the contract he had um for the off season was absolutely deserved just because of what he did in the world series and then obviously seeing them clinch was a really great feeling they came back after that horrible 18 inning loss and they were down a lot and then mitch moreland and steve pierce kind of turned the tides and i watched the red sox clinch the world series with the team that i loved so much and it was a great feeling so I almost picked that. I do have a baseball one on my list, but I almost picked that. But I tried to stay away from a lot of Boston things, <laughs> so our, our like our list wasn't the same. You knew me, you know me so well. Why one of mine that will come up is not number one, but just because so you could have it at your number one. <laughs> so my number four, keep it professional. And I want you to know, I need to start this sentence off by saying Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. Okay. Despite what you're young and saying. <laughs> um, it's going to be Ray Allen's The Shot on June 18th, 2013. This was the shot, you know, that pretty much led to James getting his first um, finals championship. And, you know, after that, then you can start talking about him is is he the greatest is he one of the goats is michael is he up there with kareem is he up there with jordan is he up there with johnson because before that it was just well he's never won anything you know we can't really so i'm gonna say the shot not because like i care like i i, I really like plus birds uh, i think they're a very classy organization and they're usually my team I'll cheer for in the playoffs because God knows the Hornets aren't going to make it. <laughs> so I would say the shot, just because of the way it affected um, how it's going to affect the history of basketball. Right. Um, I think um, like it kind of cemented Ray Allen in a way that he hadn't necessarily been with the Celtics or the Bucks or the Supersonics as this like sort of clutch figure, like he was always yeah, he was a like a hero. Yeah, he had been the the lead on a, many teams, and then he was kind of third fiddle on the Celtics. But then to come into Miami and then just have this Robert Horry kind of performance, and now he's like one of the great postseason players in basketball. Um, and he's cemented with legacy. Like he'll go. It's 
like writing whenever you talk about Jordan I mean not Jordan um LeBron James that shot gets brought up sometimes it gets brought up to criticize him like well if Ray Allen doesn't make this shot does he even get that first championship but he got it and so when they talk about him as a historic player they'll always go back to that so it kind of submitted him in basketball history as well I think Absolutely. That's a good pick. It was definitely one of the... I think I actually was in Disney World when that happened. And I remember just coming back to the hotel room and be like, holy shit. Um, but yeah, it was a great play. Um, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll go into my number three, which is another, another Boston one, but it's one of the all-time greatest plays I've ever seen in my life. I think it might be the best Super Bowl play I've ever seen ever. Um, Super Bowl, uh, whatever it was, 49, I think. Patriots, Seahawks. Um, Jermaine Curse makes this horrible catch that's amazing for the Seattle fans, but horrible for the Patriots fans. We can't believe that it happened again to us. With Oh, the falling down one? Yes, he's juggling the ball, and nobody's touching him, and it was just horrible. Um, he catches that. They get to the goal line. Marshawn Lynch rushes up to the half-yard line, and then Russell Wilson drops back in the pocket and throws it a bullet that's immediately intercepted by Malcolm Butler, a person I'd never heard of before in my life. Um... He makes the interception. Patriots win the Super Bowl. Tom Brady's fourth, his first since 2005. It was amazing. I remember just screaming. I couldn't believe that it happened. I thought that was the thing that only happened in movies, and it was just amazing. And I love Malcolm Butler forever for that. I I know it's kind of cliche to say that you'll buy like he he never has to pay for a drink in Boston for the rest of his life. But as long as he's in a bar with me, he won't have to. Um, he is iconic. I don't care about what happened in the Eagles Super Bowl with him because he did that interception and he is forever untouchable. What did he do in the Eagles Super Bowl? I'm confused. It was um it was some it, we never heard the full story about it. I mean we may never hear, hear it until we get like Oh, he didn't play. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Sorry. I was And Belichick never explained why. He just benched him the whole game, and I really feel like he would have been a difference maker against Nick Foles, but, you know, who knows? Nick Foles had a bit of that butler magic to begin with, so it might have been unstoppable no matter what. Um, so, speaking, we're going to go to number three. Your number three. Um, it's going to be, and I want you to know, I'm a base, I'm, I'm not, I'm a baseball purist, I would say. I don't watch it every day. I don't keep up with it, but I still think it may be the best sport. Yeah. It's watching a baseball game, like, especially live. Like, if I'm going to watch a game on TV, I prefer to watch football. But when it comes to going to a game live, baseball's like a different level of just, it's amazing. But it's going to be the Cubs winning the 2016 World Series. Um, not because, like, again, I don't like the Cubs. I'm a Braves fan through and through. But, I don't know. I thought it was good for the city. I thought it was good for everybody involved. And, I don't know. It was a very historic thing for a city that never really had much success. You know, so I thought it was really cool just to see them finally get that. Well, yeah, that's a... I remember watching that game at school. Um... It was kind of one of those back-and-forth type things, like the Indians were ahead, then the Cubs were ahead, and then the Indians hit this like amazing home run to tie the game, and then it went to extra innings, and there was like a rain delay, I think, in the middle, and it was just 
unbelievable. And to see, obviously, that curse. I remember there was a Sports Illustrated cover in 2008. Um, I don't even remember the name of the cub who was on it. But it said, like, is he the one who's going to break the curse? And obviously... I know the one you're talking about. I want to say it was Sterling Castro. Yeah, he was, like, the big deal. He was going to be the one. He was the heir apparent. And then, yep, obviously... Sterling Castro. I remember the one you're talking about. I, I, I remember I remember that one. I was, like, one of the last Sports Illustrated's I had under my subscription. It was, a. Uh, it obviously didn't pan out until Chris Bryant and uh, that whole crew came along, John Lester coming on as a pitcher, uh, but yeah, the Cubs it's going to go down as probably, it's probably like as much as I love the Red Sox, that Cubs World Series will be the baseball moment of the decade um, but I think it's a good um, it's definitely a good pick, um, and it's kind of like a good time capsule too of like how baseball during this decade has been like impossible things happening, like like the Cubs winning the World Series obviously, um but it was also like the Astros went from like the worst team, like in all of professional sports, to being champions. And I and I had really thought about the Astros as one of my list, but I tried, like I said, to spread out. Yeah. So it wasn't, you know, a bunch of the same sports. Well, it's an excellent decision. Um, I was really happy for all the Cubs fans, and um, we're going into my number two pick. Um, had to had to have this in here. Um, there's just no way I could deny it. It's uh, in 2011. The NFL season was had one narrative and one narrative only, and that was Tim Tebow. And I am a huge Florida Gators fan, and I've loved Tebow ever since his time with Florida. He was drafted by the Broncos, 25th overall, and everyone said that he was picked too high and that he couldn't do it. And you know he wasn't. He, he, I'll, I'll admit it. He wasn't that good, especially. Um, if you look at it statistically. Um, but what Tebow did every week, week in, week out, he somehow won. It was a miracle. Every week he was pulling off miracles. And I remember just like following along, and I was like, this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. I am completely enraptured by this every week. There's a Sports Illustrated cover, and it said, like, Tim Tebow has one question for you. Do you believe? And I was like, I, got, I get goosebumps still thinking about it, just this whole narrative and... I just made you religious. <laughs> it, I, it's the closest thing. It's it for me. It is the best evidence that God exists is Tim Tebow, because of the time that he was on an airplane and a man had a heart attack and they pronounced him dead. And then Tim Tebow got a group of people together and they all started to pray, and the man came back to life. Um, it's just, it's just, and then to cap it all off, um, obviously they did not win the Super Bowl. The Broncos lost to the Patriots, but in the wild card round for Tim Tebow to throw, I think it was an 80-yard touchdown pass to Demarius Thomas, the first play of overtime, and it was the greatest, one of the greatest sports moments I've ever seen in my life. I just love him so much, and I'm always rooting for Tim Tebow. It was the narrative of the season for me, probably of the decade. You know, it's funny that you talk about your love for Tebow with, um, because that's been, ironically, because him being a religious man, because my list, I wanted to put whenever Tom Brady sold his soul to the devil <laughs> found the fountain of youth because that's, but that leads into my number two um, it would be the 28-3 to Super Bowl when they came back and beat the Falcons that was Brady's fifth I put this at two so you could have it at one don't <laughs> worry um, that was Brady's fifth it's a minimum as the greatest football player of all time 
So, yeah, I mean, it was just an incredible thing to watch. I remember watching it like, no way. Like, I remember I, went, I always go home to watch the Bowl in college. And I remember my buddy, my roommate, was a big Patriots fan, huge Patriots fan. I'm like, well, he's going to be in a bad mood all week. <laughs> and I was cheering for him because my buddy's a Patriots fan, you know, and I don't hate Brady. I'm not one of these, oh, well, I hate Brady, I hate Brady, like, guys. No, so that, it would be that one, because that's, I mean, that makes him the greatest football player to ever play the game. Yeah, it's a great transition, because that is my number one pick, was the 23 Super Bowl. Um, I remember the first two and a half quarters, I'm just sitting in my chair with a blanket wrapped around my head, not moving, just really sad. Um, I was like, wow, this is really just going to be a fucking blowout. That pick six was just awful and um but then like they get the one touchdown but then Gostowski misses the extra point and you're like ah it's like just kind of the defense doesn't really care as much anymore so they're just kind of letting them score like garbage points and then suddenly you start to see like things are happening here like Dante Hightower forcing the fumble um suddenly the Patriots go down I think Amendola scores and then they do the they do the Kevin Falk play with uh with James White to score the ex, the the uh, two point conversion, and then suddenly they're back and Amendola gets the two point conversion and we're going to overtime and I, I'm already out of my seat at this point. We're going to, we go to overtime and at that point it was clear that the Patriots were going to win. I just remember I watched I've watched this game like maybe thirty times already, start to finish. It's the most amazing narrative to go so far down, like more more far down than not even in any team than in Super Bowl history, but. In playoff history, in arguably like in football history, just the deficit was insurmountable. The Falcons were controlling everything, and just the, that comeback—it's I just I've never been able to accurately put it into words because it's the most incredible athletic achievement I've ever seen in my entire life. I guess that's how I would have felt if Cam Newton would have dove for the football and the one Super Bowl. That brutal Panthers Broncos one. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Well, let's talk about what is your number one. I'm going to say the decision when LeBron James joined Miami. That's a good pick. That changed everything. What do you like about the decision? It just changed the face of basketball. That led to the super scenes, which led to you know the emergence of like the Golden State, which led to the Snake, a.k.a. Kevin Durant. <laughs> like It pretty much changed Basketball, it changed professional sports. I um, again, not a big LeBron fan, but I just thought it was the decision. This isn't like a, I like this, which I think that's where me and you may have differed on our list. Yeah, I think you. And it'll be this stuff. Like I didn't know how to go about the list. I'm like, do I do like my favorite moments, or do I think do I get the five most defining moments? Right. So I think that's where we get a little bit different on our list. Where not that you didn't pick, you know, these great moments, but I definitely think we went a little bit different. Where I, where we looked at like what what do we like or what do we think changed the landscape? For sure, for sure. Um, but yeah, I remember that day. I was like. Everyone was like, oh, he's going to the Bulls. He's, he's, he's going to be a Bull. It's a, it's a Bulls thing. But then I was like, I don't know. I feel like this Wade Bosch LeBron thing would be kind of cool to see happen. And then obviously things went so unpredictably with how that whole thing shook out between Bosch's injuries and 
LeBron going back to Cleveland, which I never would have thought could be possible. Um, but yeah, it's a great moment. Uh, what were some of the honorable mentions? So I have two. And for my honorable mentions, I think the thing that I thought were... Wait a second, I gotta sneeze. Bless you. Sorry. <laughs> um, I picked two. One of them didn't really change anything. I just thought it was cool. And that was in the Iron Bowl when the Alabama argued for the extra second for the field goal, missed it, and Auburn ran it back. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Uh, again, I don't think that really changed the landscape or anything. I just thought that was a cool thing to see. And then Clemson winning their second national title against Alabama. Okay, that's when I picked because I loved it. Yeah. But I remember crying at Davos press conference or post-game speech. But... I think that one for me, because also it kind of gave the idea that, hey, another team's arrived on the college football place. It's not just roll tide. Yeah, I just really am not an Alabama fan in any way, and it was that was a great one to watch them finally lose. It felt like forever when they had last lost. Um, those are great picks. Um, I had um, the 2013 playoff run for the Red Sox as an honorable mention I love I still watch um, Shane Victorino and David Ortiz's ALCS Grand Slams a ton they make me very happy I like watching them um, those are those are great moments for me and the whole Boston Marathon narrative too was just incredible um, I have this one's a little bit recent too uh, DJ Augustine last year Magic Raptors game one of the series and he hits that uh, game winning three and I was like here we go, Magic all the way, and I love the Magic even more than the Celtics. I hold them dear to my heart, and I was like, "Here we go, we're gonna win." And they were promptly, uh, they promptly lost four games in a row to the Raptors, who eventually won the NBA championship. So, obviously, it didn't pan out. But for that one moment, the Magic were good in this decade, and that is something that could not really be said about them ever um, in the past ten years. And then, lastly, I am curious if you'll remember this, but it's a uh, 2011 NFL season, Christmas Eve. The Bengals are playing the Cardinals, and Jerome Simpson is running to the end zone, does a front flip over the linebacker, and scores a touchdown. So I don't—I didn't remember that was Christmas Eve, and I didn't remember who they were playing, but I remember the play, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I know, I know the play you're talking yeah. about. It's, a, it's the most incredible play. If you haven't seen it, just Google Jerome Simpson. It's like all he's known for. Um, but I remember, I just, I, I've watched it over 200 times in my life. It is the greatest thing I've ever seen. It's so awesome. I love that play. Uh, it's just incredible. I, it's, I think it's the play of the decade for me. Um, it's unbelievably good. I just never have seen anything like that since or before, and I just love Jerome Simpson forever because of that. Definitely one of the cooler plays. Oh, so much style. And to have it on Christmas Eve, what a moment. Um, well, yeah, those are the sports moments of the decade, and we're definitely going to be having you on more, Pete, to talk about sports. Hopefully we can do some three-way calls or something with Joey and Dustin as well. Um, but thank you so much for being here. Oh, it was my pleasure. Uh, I apologize for getting the sniffles toward the end. No, I, I, I think I join all of the listeners of this podcast in wishing you good health. Yeah, I'll be there. But, yeah. Um, like I said, I thought it was interesting how early is, how we barely took it in different ways. Yes, I definitely took the Homer um, perspective of it. 
Uh, but to have you on it was great to balance that because otherwise this would just be the best Boston moments of the decade. And to have you bring in LeBron and um, uh, the U.S. women's team obviously is a good counterbalance to that. Well, and to be fair, I've not had any minus points and none of my teams have done enough for me to be able to put on mine. Maybe mine could have been a little more biased. That's true. Yeah, not a whole lot going on with um, Kemba Walker or... Uh, Cam Newton, this, this, uh, or even, you know, the Hurricanes, they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't, I don't even, <laughs> I didn't even know they were making it to a guest on me one day, and I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, it's, a uh, definitely wasn't the best hockey decade, but obviously sports will always have these amazing moments. And I love talking about sports with you. Yeah, sir. Well, you have a good day, Dave Mello. You too, Pete. Love you. Stay, stay classy. You too. Bye-bye.